So, recording my eye in. We're going to go live in five, four, three, two. Welcome to another episode of Knives Monroe versus the podcast. I'm Knives Monroe. How you guys doing? Good Sunday morning. I'm here with a with a dear friend. Very excited to have on the podcast. First time ever. It's first time ever we really chatted outside of Facebook Messenger. Trey, how you doing, buddy? Doing great, man. Happy to be here. It is true we haven't actually had a a real conversation ever before. So this is a pretty pretty new for me to to meet somebody like this. But it's super cool. It's cool to have you, man. Um, all it took was just the world ending. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. You know, thank God the world's ending or we never would have met. Thanks, Apocalypse. Preach, Asia. Um, let me ask you, man, where are you at right now? Jacksonville, Florida. Okay, before we get into more about um, where you're from, what you're doing, what you've done in the past, and, and what you have to look forward to, how has this epidemic been treating you and your family? How's it impacted you? Uh, well, I I work from home. I have my own business, and my wife is a, a stay-at-home mom. So it hasn't been a huge difference because we're both so, home so much already. Yeah. Um, but it's it's definitely I'm ready for it to to go away. Yeah. You know? I would love I would love to uh you know be able to just go work and and shoot and you know go to the gym just whatever you know little stuff. Yeah. Um do you have family over there outside you and your wife? Um uh, my brother lives here and my my niece and nephew live here. And how are they doing? Uh, but uh they're they're doing okay, you know. Everybody is kind of just stuck where they are but yeah that's 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 most of what i have here so i have in texas and uh also denver colorado right i remember you mentioning that so yeah you know what do you do for work right now i do video production um so we uh you know we provide like all types of different things for local businesses here in Ville. Um, really just helping businesses communicate who they are, what they do, how they're different. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, putting systems in place that can streamline things that they do. So mm-hmm. if they have sales agents, you know, we get sales tools in their hands so that they can multiply their sales. And, you know, instead of knocking on one door at a time, you're knocking on, you know, thousands at a time with these tools. So, holy smokes, that's legit. Like, is are you talking about Salesforce or something? Uh, just you know, just videos that um, basically are you know keeping you from repeating yourself over and over. Like, oh. if I'm if I'm working for a company and I'm selling something, I can only talk to one person at a time. But yeah. if I capture my message in a video and that's in my email signature and it's, you know, part of my daily routine with how I engage people. Now it's something that is, is accelerated. So, yeah. So that's, that's really interesting stuff. That's, uh, I want to get it more into, um, the what and the how, as far as sort of video production theory. I'm fascinated about that. It's kind of like, 
I feel filmmakers, especially now more than ever, and I'm going to call you a filmmaker, a video production person. It's just where I come from, right? Um, I feel like some of us are magicians that keep our tricks as a secret from other other filmmakers away. Like, I'm not going to tell you everything, right? So I'm always fascinated to know how people do stuff behind the scenes. So I, I definitely want to get into that. But I'm curious, Trey, how many birthdays have you had? 41. That's that can't be true. 41. Are you you're 41 years old? I thought you were my age. Yeah, uh, it's 1978, July. What? July 18th. I am shocked. Everybody yeah. in the comments, who looks older, me or Trey? That's not even funny. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I would have never guessed. That's so cool. Okay, so now this changes a lot. Um 41 years young. That's cool. Where were you born, and what did your parents do? I was born in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, my dad has had a uh, auto repair shop, and uh, he had a big car lot, and he did, he had a body shop. He did that like pretty much my whole life, and then he sold his business a couple of years. Was a nurse who's also retired now, so that's that comes with being you know forty one. You get you have parents that are retired at that point so yeah wow that's so cool and growing up you know what was that like for you in in elementary did you have siblings um what what was that like did you go to high school in san antonio yeah yeah i moved halfway through high school i moved here to florida um yeah i had a, a brother and then two sisters that came much later on mm -hmm. uh I'm 16 years and 20 years older than my two sisters. Um, but yeah, I just had a big close family in San Antonio and, and really good close friends. Um, I've always been, you know, blessed to have a tight circle of, of good people around me my whole life. It's just been like a, a constant theme. Mm -hmm. Were any of your parents in the military? Okay, because no. it sounds like San Antonio is obviously a, a big military city, and Florida yeah, right, Florida has right. a big military presence as well. So I wasn't sure if your if your mom or dad right, were moving yeah. around. Yeah, no, -uh. no, no military. Okay, that's cool. So wh why did you why did you move to Florida in the middle of high school? Uh, my parents got divorced, and my mom, you know, remarried my stepdad, who was doing a residency to be a doctor. So he had to come out, come out here. And I actually was at a boarding school for two years and I would visit my mom here in Jacksonville like every month. Okay. And I just, she, she made me move out here. I was just like, I was falling apart. Yeah. Dude, divorce during that age has got to fucking suck. It's got to suck. My parents yeah. got divorced. I was five years old. It wasn't fun either, but it was young enough where, you know, my I, I wasn't just split into two. My mom was like, you're coming with me. That's it. And I never saw my dad yeah. again. You know, um, what yeah. was what yeah. was that like at that age? That's such a I couldn't imagine. Well, um, you know, it tore it tore me up when I found out what was happening. Um, I think I think the harder part is, you know, going going forward. 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, like the lingering effects, 
that's been the hardest part, you know, because mm. when I was 16, I was like in love with high school and friends and like it was a rush. Like all through high school was a rush, you know? Of course. But then, you know, 20 years later when it's time to sit down at the Thanksgiving dinner table and, you know, you're trying to put all the pieces together and who's coming this year and who's not and, you know, oh, so-and-so's in the picture now and yeah it's not like last year and next year will be it's, you know it's just like it never goes away yeah um how old were you when you had your first child 41 okay so you have a brand new newborn brand spanking new hot off the presses yeah Okay, so yeah. it, it's been, I don't know if you've had enough time to process this, but, you know, I'm, I'm projecting here. I grew up with a lot of mom, daddy issues, baggage of just like, you know, if you've ever seen Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, there's this whole episode yeah. where the dad comes back in the picture for Will Smith, and then he just leaves him again. And Will, Will has this great supposedly improvised improvised moment where he says, man, why doesn't my dad love me, right? And as a kid, I felt that shit. I was like, how could you just abandon your child? I never understood that. And I'm 32 years old. I've, I've been a dad and a stepfather, which I don't talk about too frequently because it's I, it's just being a dad, you know? Um, I love yeah. my stepson and my, my blood daughter so intensely and sometimes some days in different ways but still, I would die. And I would die for both of them. It's just nothing's gonna, sure. nothing's going to change that. But before I had my birth daughter um, in 2014, I remember my she wasn't my wife at the time, but my girlfriend who I knocked up, Claire, who's been on this podcast many times. She said, yeah. "Don't worry, it's going to be fine. You know, um, you have the dad gene." And I was like, "That can't be because my father." abandoned me and like his father was a piece of shit and that, that you know it was just like the whole bloodline of just terrible dads yeah. Yeah. but when my daughter came to this planet and i saw her be born i was like oh my god i love this thing like i it instincts i had no idea were there kicked in yeah. and yeah. I, I i you know just kind of a tangent but uh, a couple oh, months a couple months ago my brother had a baby so i went to south texas the real grandy valley to, to be there and I got to hold uh, my niece who was just like a couple minutes old and yeah. instincts that I didn't know were there. Cause now that I have, my kids are a little older, I don't, you know, change their diapers and shit, but like all these dad instincts kicked in where I just wanted to, you know, rock this baby and hum to the baby and feed, you know? And I was like, wow, all these things are there. I was so grateful. Cause a part yeah. of me was like, what if I have a kid? And those instincts aren't there. Like, what if I don't give a shit about my kid? Yeah. Like, I was so afraid of that. So do you do you feel like that, that uh, all that just to ask? Like, do you feel that divorce baggage? Uh, you know, it's always, it, it can never be buried. It's always right at the surface. And, and having a child now, like, do you, do you have to confront that? And how do you reckon with that, if you do? Uh, there might be some subconscious connections. Um, but... I think when I was in my late twenties, I moved in with this family from my church hmm. and I was at that point, I was always afraid that I would be able to have a family because it was hard to imagine just being at home all the time with the same people all day long. <laughs> True. And, and this family that I was with at the time, I lived with them for about two years. Uh, you know, they had two sons, husband and wife, 
the the father really encouraged me to be to be there more mm-hmm. because he could see that I kept running around and you know spending all my time with friends all over the place and he was trying to instill that that familyness inside of me so I started doing it I started being around more and I I realized that I could do it yeah I was like man I could be a family man I'm I'm here I'm doing it I, I can see it you know and then the next piece was you know just praying for the the right woman mm-hmm. and that's not something that I mean Ten, 10 years later, I was married, you know, it was a long ways before I actually met my wife, Sophia. And I had been in other relationships prior to that. And I doubted, you know, man, I can't see myself being a, a father with this person, you know? Yeah. I met my wife. She just gave me the confidence. I knew I was like, I can, I can see myself being a dad with, with her, like the way she's going to love me, the way she's going to love the kid. I'm in. Let's go, like 100. percent Yeah, that's when you know that you've really found somebody. It happened that way, similarly, similarly to, to me as well. Um, I, I was one of those guys. I was like, I don't want to be a dad. I don't want to get married until I found the woman that I wanted to trap. And I was like, this is the one. This is the girl. And same thing with children. Like when I met my stepson, I was like, this is my, this is my guy. I was like, I love this guy. I want to be a part of his life, you know, and. If it wasn't for him, I don't know if I would have, uh, I mean, he knows this, but if it wasn't for my, my son Aiden, who was seven when I met him, I don't know if my daughter would exist because I really wanted to be, you know, linked to this kid somehow. I loved him so much. So totally, man, that's what it takes. You know, uh, sometimes you don't know it till you see it, right? Yeah. What was it oh, about, yeah. what was it about your, you know, your, your wife at that time before she was your wife where you were like, this is the one? Not to, um, not to put you on the spot. Ah, whatever you want to ask. Um, I've always had a lot of like confidence in in the way I can read people, mm-hmm. and I think that's why I've always been fortunate. You know, one reason that I've been fortunate to have good people in my life. Um, but I could just see that. I just saw a mother and a wife in her. I mean, you know, I I don't know if I could break it down but she just was you know nurturing and unselfish and she loved kids and she had a really close family she comes from a you know she's Lebanese so in 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 her family that's like I mean they all hang out constantly they're like super tight like even now her family lives down south and they FaceTime like it's nothing you know just Mm -hmm. always Mm -hmm. is that like a do you feel like that's a little different than how you grew up? Um, gosh, that's a great question. Because I grew up with a tight family. I'm not too on the up and up about but, Lebanese culture. That's why I ask. But, but in my family, you know, you kind of grow up and move away sort of thing and then all get back together mm. for you know, Christmas and family reunions. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you're still close, but, but I feel like, uh, you know, in, in the Lebanese culture, it's more like, there's not so much of that, uh, you know, you're moving on into your own life kind of thing. Huh. Very interesting. So you've gotten to yeah. know 
her family a little bit, would you say? Oh yeah, that that was and that was mandatory. I had to drive we lived four hours apart when we met. We yeah. met on a dating app. So I had to drive and meet her dad immediately. And <laughs> oh man. He sat me down in the living room and I mean I had met him like not even five or ten minutes and now we're sitting down in the living room. He's there, uh, my wife, um, her sisters, her brother, they're all there just like looking at me. And I just met all of them. And her dad was asking me stuff like, uh, what do you want to do with my daughter? And he said, so you like younger women? I said, I like Sophia. And, uh, you know, He's like, you, if you respect us, we're going to respect you. If you ever do anything to hurt my daughter, I'm going to hurt you. Wow. And, um, wow, he had the I, talk. I, I actually really appreciated it, and I, I was looking forward to it because I knew how I felt about her. I was eager to show him, like, I see what you're doing. You're, you're calling me out, and I'm totally ready to prove to you that I'm, I'm really in, like serious about this. Yeah. So, you know, cause people beat around the bush so much and I don't know. I don't, I don't like that. Yeah. I like when someone respects you and they're direct and you know what they're thinking. They cut so the crap. Yeah. They just cut the bullshit and go right for it. No, I agree. We dance around our feelings too much. And I think because of that, we, we end up wasting time, right? We're not being transparent. So I think, if you, you can save a lot of time if you just kind of cut the bullshit. You say, here are the cards on the table. And now everybody knows what, what, what we have in our hands, you know, so to speak. And so it's kind of hard. Do you have a, a, a little boy or a little girl? Girl. Okay. Girl. I mean, let's be honest. When, when, she's, when she's that age, dating age, you know, you're going to, you might be the same way. You might want to know, like, is this the right guy? I, I, you want to know. No, I definitely will be that way. I mean, whether if the, your child's a boy or a girl, you're going to want to know. You're going to want to know for sure, you know, because this is your family, you know. This is You're going to bring another member, you know, into your household, possibly yeah. and definitely. So you got you to gotta probe around, you know, maybe, I, maybe even aggressively. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out in 20, 25 years. <laughs> we'll do yeah. another podcast, and I'll say, hey, how, how's it being, uh, you know, that guy yeah it's something that i definitely think about even though it's a long ways away i know it'll go by fast but uh yeah 100 percent. like i'm gonna hold myself to that you know i'm not just gonna let her start running around with guys of course yeah obviously same here same thing with my son i'm more worried about him than anything just because he, it's he's closer to age he's he's 14 and mm, yeah know, yeah he's so he's yeah yeah he's at that age but um so after high school, you graduate. Um, what was going on at that time? What year did you graduate? 97. Okay, so 97 was the year of, um, I think it was right, like t the Titanic year. So I was in fourth grade in 97, I recall. Um, yeah. So what was going on then? You know, uh, independent cinema was at, an, you know, was at its peak. It was at its zenith, you know, uh, I, I can recall the pop culture, the the music at the time. 
um, did you know that, okay, I got to go to college. That's going to be my next step. Or I'm going to, I'm going to take a gap year or like, what was, what was the plan? Well, when I was in high school and I was a senior, I told my mom, I said, I'm not ready to graduate. So I'm just going to, you know, do that next year. So I would skip class and just play ping pong all day long. We had like, we had this in an elective class. It was ping pong and got really good at that. Um, so took me two years to graduate high school. And even then I said, I'm not going to college. So after one year or not even a year of that, I started to change and grow up. And not that you, you know, not that because you go to college, you're grown up, but right. I just started to change. And then, then I started going to college. Um, but I didn't get into any film stuff until late 20s mm -hmm. um, so I was I was a, a personal trainer and I worked at the gym uh, that I went to school at and I even continued to work there after I graduated college there but I always felt like I had zero interest in doing anything unless I was really into it so I watched a lot of people like stress out because they didn't know what they were going to do for a career yeah I never cared I, I could care less and Unless I knew that it was something that I was passionate about. Wow. So even even back then, so you you ended up going to college after all. What did you major in? What did you get your degree in? Uh, sport management. Okay. I mean, you know, it was something that I like sports, and um, my best friend was in that major, so we took all the classes together. So yeah, that's cool. And was that a was that four years? Because I'm a college dropout, community college, so I, I really don't know much about the world. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it could have been four years, but I stretched it out. Nice, nice. And so you ended up being a personal trainer. Um, do you still dabble in that from time to time? Because how, how do you escape that life? Um, I, as I built my video business up, I started training less and less. Hmm. And right now i have one client with like two sessions left and after that that's i'm totally finished after that you see yeah it's one of those um kind of hard to escape that life i mean health and wellness is is hotter than ever you know in terms of the the awareness that i think like your average american you know knows how to get a six-pack now right and now it's like they need to yeah. be pushed in that way and diet yeah. i've never seen in, in in my lifetime like diet you know um now my mom makes green smoothies shout out to my mom but like 20 years ago she's not right. fucking she's not fucking with kale you know so <laughs> yeah uh, that's i could see that world kind of being immensely valuable in perpetuity you know even outside of the video world and also in the video world there's I've met tons of people that are like, hey, film my workout, you know, film me yeah. sparring and stuff like that. And, and it's it's cinematic, right? Like I've, I've filmed a few jujitsu sparring sessions and it's fun. You want to get in there and it's really cool. So that's that sounds good. So in your late 20s, you know, how did you get bit by the the video bug? Uh, when I was a little kid, I used to pick up my mom's video camera and I would make little skits and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then in college, um, anytime there was a chance to do a video presentation, I would always ask, or a, excuse me, a speech, I would ask to do a video. Yep. I don't know why. And then the teacher would usually say yes. Um, 
my my good friend and I, my best friend in college, we uh we used to do a lot of that jackass kind of stuff before there was jackass. Oh, you're talking my language now. You're scratching my itch. Yeah, yeah. We 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 used to do all kinds of stuff like that, and it was all on video, you know. Yeah. And then uh, I just was doing those little random things, and you know, a person here or there would say, "Man, you're good at that video thing. Like, you should. That's what you should do." And I was like, "Yeah, right." Like, I didn't sit at that table in high school. I sat with with the you know guys that like sports and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, it took me a long time to accept the fact that you know I I could be creative or artistic. Like, there was a huge barrier. And people just kept telling me over and over, like, man, you're good at that. You're good at that. And then finally, I was just like, well, I, maybe I am, you know, and I just started doing it. Yeah, that's the product of the time. There was like that the, we were more segregated back then. You were either, you know, the gym person, the, the jock, or you were the, the weird nerd who right. understood Aperture and ND filters and things like that. Right. And yeah, so back then, now, I mean, the jocks are the ones... Yeah. That are living for the gram and they have their phones and they they know you know so i never thought about that man for You're sure right. yeah i mean i i mean i graduated in 06 and I, even i struggled with that like i was considered you know out there a freak you know um my school was very ignorant like the some people i'll say there, there's a lot of gems but at the time it was like hey real hispanic but um Hey, wait, you a freak, you know, like just for, gosh, anything like liking wrestling, you know, liking jackass. Uh, <laughs> yes, last night I was uh, watching my, my wife and I, I don't know why we did this, but um, we're not fans of Taylor Swift. And I apologize if you are, but we put on a documentary called Miss Americana on Netflix that yeah. was like this puff piece about Taylor Swift. And they would cut to footage from 2003 on videotape of her being like at a talent show or some shit and being like, my name's Taylor Swift and this song's called, you know, whatever. And and it was like, oh, that's cool. You know, like there's footage of her doing that. I told Claire, when they make the Knives Monroe documentary, the footage they're going to cut to is me pepper spraying my friends and throwing each other into canals and backyard wrestling and being like a wannabe jackass like i don't just say that i'm semi proud of that but also that's that's my legacy you know like i i recorded hitting my friends in the head with steel chairs just because i wanted to f have something to edit later you know like i i didn't know that i was a filmmaker yet but it right. was just something that that was there um and so do you still have videotape footage like do you have the evidence of all this this jackass tomfoolery Yes, we have like a couple hours of it. You got to hold on to that then. That's that's it's precious. VHS, VHS cassette. We need to transfer it. It's like getting worse and worse. Like every time you watch it, it gets worse. Oh, you got to transfer it while you still can, man. For sure. For sure. I highly recommend that. Just when they make the, the Trey Vollmer. I hope I said your last name right. Uh, just when they make the, the documentary at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. I, I needed that nudge, man. It's something that I just never get around to doing. So what I, I ask most creatives, like video people on this podcast, most of them have done wedding photography or videography or have at least recorded one wedding. How old were you when you did your first wedding? I'm going to assume that you did one. I did a bunch. <laughs> it's kind of a rite of passage. I still do them, um, but only like 
you know, I might do one a year, like I'm doing one in uh, Disneyland or Disney World. I get the two mixed up. I'm doing yeah. one of those in uh, June. I think it's June. Um, first one was for one of my best friends growing up. Uh, I was in the wedding and I filmed the wedding. Um, Whoa, multitasking. I was, I was, you know, late late twenties, like right when I was first first getting into it all. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, have you had um, any disasters? Because I filmed enough to know this ain't for me. I don't want to do it personally. Uh, no, I haven't had any disasters. Um, I'm pretty firm about like what I take on. Um, I think that uh, it's it's kind of my personality to, you know, be careful about moving forward with things, jumping into stuff. That's smart. That's smart. Okay. That's cool. How... When when did you get your first? I call it art money. Like when did you get your first paycheck or something? Being creative, because that's when you know. Oh shit, there's money in this. I can actually make a living and and do this. Oh, I can be my own boss, so to speak. Like when did when did that first happen? Of uh, right right when I got my first camera. So in my late twenties. The family that I live with, one of their boys, he played in this flag football league. Mm. So I reached out to the the guy that uh, owned the whole thing, the guy that ran it, and um, just introduced myself. And I said, hey, man, I got this idea. You know, I want to get out there and I want to film these games um, and just sell DVDs to the parents. Yeah. And Sorry. I said, every, every, v, every DVD that we sell, everybody that – sees it like they're watching your business you know and that's right um i said i said yeah man you gotta let me on the field man like let me get out there like right in the middle of it all so i was out there with the kids and the refs and i was set up this uh this table and you know had some flyers back in the day just stopping people as they walk by and oh yeah started buying these games for like 20 bucks and you know that's what that's where i first got started Wow, that's cool. What what year was that? Oh, man, so had to have been like mid two thousands, early two thousands. It was like twelve years ago. Yeah, twelve years ago. Gosh, help help me out here. I'm trying to do math. Like two thousand eight. Yeah, two thousand eight. Thank God it's twenty twenty. I would have been lost on that math. Same. Yeah, I had to count on my fingers. Thank God I had ten fingers. Um, so what what was your first camera? That sounds like it could have been maybe a DV, like a Sony Handycam type thing. You remember the uh, HV twenty Canon HV twenty? Oh, I always wanted that camera. Yeah, I remember. That had a, that camera had a cult following. Dude, was that the white one? It was silver, and silver, then the next yeah. one was black. It went oh. from the 20 to the 30. Oh, yeah, dude. that was. I still want that camera. I still want that camera. Isn't that weird? When I when I got that camera, I was so stoked. I went out into the, the driveway, and the garbage man was driving by, and I was filming him. Yes. And he was oh, looking man. at me like I was – like he was staring me down. Like, yeah. And I was yeah. like, I just got a new camera. And like, he didn't yeah. care. That was a, uh, this is before hybrid cameras. So that, oops, popped my hip. That was a video camera. What, did that Did that record? This this couldn't have been in SD cards at Mini the time. DV. So it had to be Mini DV. DV. Yeah, DV. Oh, what a pain in the ass that would be today. Yeah. But man, uh, gosh, it had like a fixed lens. 
Yeah. Did it, did it have ND filters and stuff like that? No. Uh-uh. Damn. I want to say, um, if you did follow Jackass back in the day, Bam Margera and that crew later yeah. on went to make this indie movie that I happen to love, even though it's it's pretty crude, um, called Haggard. And I think they filmed it on, on, on cameras like that, for sure. It had a good image, man. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Uh, that must have been a, a $2,500 camera back then. Man, I don't think it was that much. Really? I mean, this thing, this thing was tiny. It looked kind of like this. It looked kind of like this. This is my mom's. Okay. Yeah. 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 It looked kind of like that. I mean, a little more sophisticated, slightly. Yeah. But it wasn't. There's no way it was twenty five hundred. It was. Gosh, okay. man, it was probably like twelve hundred or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But in two thousand eight dollars, whoo, that was like two grand today. I feel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't even have a. I didn't have anything. I had not, that's all I had. Was that? Yeah, man. Dang, that takes me back. So 2008, and you're still obviously, you know, being a, a personal trainer or you're working in, in fitness as well. You know, how are you? So much has changed in the past 12 years, 2008. Like, YouTube wasn't even bought by Google yet. So if you can transport me back to, to 2008, Trey, like, what was what was the plan? What were you going to do? Like, did you want to make films did you want to make commercials was la an option because back in that time it was like you got to go to la if you want to make it right so what was the plan in 2008 for you uh 100 wanted to get into filmmaking and and that's what i was was doing for a long time yeah. uh, several years yeah. um i was trying to figure out do i want to be a dp or do i want to be a director and to this day i really enjoy both yeah but yeah, that's that's originally all I wanted to do was was that. But um, you know, fast forward ten years, um, the filmmaking thing was it was it was picking up locally. Like I was meeting everybody and um, was able to get uh, a producer fund a short film that we did. Cool. Um, had a had a really solid crew on this and did a couple things like that um was part of a team that won the uh the local 48 hour film festival nice so we went to um la to compete with our film out there at a film Apalooza. cool uh, but i just i don't know once i once i got to a certain point i started feeling like there wasn't it was hard to find like open doors Mm-hmm. So, so what I would do is I would make a movie and go broke and then I would do video for work and then make another movie and go broke. Yep. And then at some point I just said, man, I need more money. Yep. I need more money to, to do. Cause I, I don't know, this is just so slow and it ain't happening over here with the filmmaking, but mm-hmm. the doors started opening, uh, way easier for, for the stuff I'm doing now. Like, doing video with businesses the doors were opening way easier yep so next thing i know i'm i got a wife and a baby in a house and i have to provide like i can't i can't provide making films yeah i know but in but ended up loving what i'm doing now like like i i i'm really happy with it how many years did you try to to make a living producing films 
Like, how long did you give that the old college try? Oh, probably about eight years. And I mean, I would still like. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot of reps. I mean, you you get to meet a lot of people during that time. There's still a lot of value. It's a lot of experience. You get to work with different DPs and maybe different directors, different writers, creative minds. You know, so you're still you're still stacking up. Yeah. Excuse me. Some skill uh, during that time. Eight eight years is nothing to sleep on. That's how I found out about you, though, because I was still in that like diehard filmmaker mm-hmm. mode, and you were doing like you were in that uh, was it Frugal Filmmaker on Facebook? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, t- I Facebook Live. I hijacked that group and kind of was like a whore about it, and was like I had stuff to say, and and at the time like n- Frugal Filmmakers and that group were not trying to be like on-screen personalities not that I was but I knew that I could go and and do this and just you know talk up a storm or whatever and start some shit but also it was right before I think people were starting to figure out that we don't need to spend twelve thousand dollars on a camera that 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 we're going to invest in filmmaking where there's no money in as far as in America this whole creative middle class like that's I was like and if you're going to produce you know and if you don't have anything, use your phone. And I was just really kind of like taking this big brother approach to my fellow filmmakers who I did not want to see. There's such a camera porn culture and everything. And so I, I really had a lot to say during that time. So I guess around 2016, 17 is probably when when we saw each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's probably about right. Yeah. Um yeah, it was it was just seeing you doing those uh those Facebook lives because back then nobody was doing Facebook live like yeah. you did a Facebook live you were like I mean like super brave like really putting yourself out there. I still then. think I still think you're pretty brave if you if you do yeah. that. It's not easy. Yeah. 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 But I don't know I don't know if you hear this from other people, but you you were very inspiring. Like. Oof. You know, hearing hearing the things that you were saying back then, I remember having like a couple times where I just wasn't feeling motivated, and I would just watch the stuff that you would talk about, and it would it would give me that boost to keep going. You know? Yeah. Well, thanks, man. Um, I think I was saying that maybe thirty, forty percent of it was to kind of boost myself. You know, um, during that particular era was like very rough financially for me like I was getting kicked in the teeth and I already had kids and you know I had a very small apartment but I was trying to make it and my commute to work was like this three hour like just bus drive that like beats you down it's kind of like the Joker you know Joaquin Phoenix just like walking up the stairs every day just to get his prescription medication and and I felt beaten down and so part of my refuge was just Oh yeah, I had to remind myself. I'm a filmmaker, goddammit. Even if I only have a phone, I'm a filmmaker because poetry is in the eye of the beholder. And that's what Orson Welles said, goddammit. And if JJ Abrams was 16 years old, he'd be making he'd be making jackass films too on his phone and I I would just like, why am I just saying this in a vacuum? Let me put it out there. And so, I wasn't trying to be inspiring. It was just you know, trying to light the fire and and all of us, you know, because Sometimes, especially moments like now, which is why I was honored that you wanted to do this podcast, and this is why I wanted to kind of take a, a step. I kind of wanted to raise the stakes a little and do it live, which I don't always do. Um, 
but it was one of those, I think now I know people, they, they're, they're home, they're home, uh, around noon on a Sunday, you know, it's a lazy Sunday for all of us. And it's going to be like that for a while. So if we can, if we can activate someone who has probably put their creativity like on the mantle and it's like, I'll get to this later. It's like, now is a good time to invest in yourself. And that doesn't mean take out a loan and, and buy a, a red dragon. That's not what I mean. I just mean, you know, tap into the inner child that likes to play with the green screen or likes to write or, you know, tap into that imagination, you know, because as soon as we lose that, I feel like we're lost forever, you know? And so thank you for that. Uh, all that just to say, thanks. I, I'm not trying to be inspiring. I just, I spaz out sometimes because they're sort of like these little soap boxes that I get on are kind of like notes to myself from when I'm down because my lows are fucking low, bro. Like my, I, I hit the, I hit rock bottom a few times a year <laughs> emotionally. Cause, cause this grind is hard, man. It's just like you, like it's hard to make a living, you know, making short films and films. Like I, what I do, you know, I take photos. Uh, I do corporate videography. I make social media content. I do podcasts for other people and that's how I pay the bills. But it was never, um, my own web series that was going to pay my bills, so to speak. And, it's like what you were saying earlier, I wrote it down <clears throat> as a note, you know, you'd go broke and then you'd have to do something and then you go broke producing your own thing. And it's, it's sort of this one for them, one for me idea. And, right. and part, I think the reason why we do that when we can afford to do that is to stay sane, you know, but, uh, I gotta, I gotta tell you, like, I look at your, your body of work, just the stuff that I can find on the internet. And I'm like, you can tell that this guy's been doing this for 10 plus years, you know, and, and, and the work is there and your work is insane. And I got to tell you, like, you're one of those guys just from what I can tell that was meant to do this. That takes a, that takes a disciplined approach to, you know, who tries to t reach perfection in his edits. You know, me, I'm like, ah, just throw it together, get it out there, put it on Instagram. It's going to be whatever. Like I, I could I could be way better, but I'm not, I'm not a videographer. I'm not a photographer. I'm not a, that's my secret. Like I'm not, I'm not that guy. I want to be the director that tells the person where to put the camera. I want to be the guy that tells the writer I'm kind of going for this and can tell the color grader, the colorist, like I'm, I want this atmosphere. And, but out of necessity, because most of us are kind of one man armies, I've been forced to, okay, well, I got to get the camera. I got to do my research and I got to figure it out because if, if not me, who, and if not now, when? So mm -hmm. I think we're kind of kindred spirits in that way. You don't get to be able to make a living doing this without the, the ups and the downs. And I think a lot of kids who, who start nowadays who have, gosh, I mean, it's, it's never been easier to be a, a filmmaker, a creative. I think if you're starting nowadays and it doesn't happen overnight, kids just kind of feel like, and this isn't for me then. And it's like, oh my God, I can't tell you how many, how many lost years and just how many times I've been kicked in the teeth and, and you have no choice but to keep going because this is something that you love, you know? So I can tell you're one of those people as well. So respect for, yeah, for staying you. in the game because it's hard. It's fucking hard. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, what, what you just said, you know, staying in the game. Um, I think that's something that 
I had to figure out because when I was a kid, I would get good at one thing and then quit and do something else. Yeah. And that was kind of my parents' style. Like as long as I was happy, mm. you know, just do whatever you want. Just don't get in trouble. Yeah. And uh, I just realized, you know, in my late twenties, I was like, man, I need to have discipline and pick one thing that I want to be great at. Like, even if, I get bored for a second. Like I can't just keep quitting on things and starting new stuff. I only have one life, you know? So I have, I have gotten to those moments with filmmaking and video production where, you know, it's felt low and I haven't been as into it, but I look back and remind myself, like, I'm not going to repeat that, that cycle. And it's right there. Like it's, it's way easier to repeat that cycle because then you're in control and you can kind of say, yeah, well, I mean, I stopped and, you know, I got bored and you can kind of blame yourself for why you're not making enough money or why you haven't achieved what have you, you know, so we put it on ourselves and that's a trap. That's a creative trapping, man, at least for me, like I'm probably projecting a little bit, but I have such a start, stop, start, stop career, you know, because I've been scared. I've been scared of success. Um, I've, turn down opportunities because I'm like something comes so naturally to me I'm like nah I'm suspicious about how easy something can be sometimes which is self-destructive so I don't know if, if you feel that way like did video and and everything that comes with it whether if it's lighting and um the AV stuff the post-production like did that stuff come naturally to you uh yeah it, it did but even if it comes naturally, the the work and the time that, as you know, goes into all that, it's like, you know, no matter how easy it comes, it's going to be a lot of hard work. And you're going to have to spend years and years to, to even get close to what you imagine yourself being. Like, you know, when you first start making something and you see this amazing thing in your mind and you go make it and it looks nothing like what you wanted or envisioned but but you could you could create it in your mind but over over time you know if i light this this way and i use this camera movement and i put this lens on this camera this is how it will look and feel yep. like you already know you know yep. you got to figure out that language though that's right oh yeah and one of the best advice i ever got was from do you know who freddie wong is uh i don't think so he he was a like the biggest YouTuber, filmmaker, YouTuber in 2009, 10, 11, he started a company called Rocket Jump and he would do these little, um, he was like very special effects heavy filmmaker and he's this cool Asian dude. And, and he had said, you know, cause he got, and you get these questions too, Trey, I'm sure, you know, what camera are you using? What lens are you using? What do you use to edit with? And when you meet other videographers it's, it's like two dogs smelling each other's butts and it's like what are you using you know and freddie said look it matters but like filmmaking is a language and unless you you have to practice that language every day to get better at it to get fluent at it and that was sort of this massive unlock for me in 2011 to be like oh yeah like stop fetishizing the gear and just get better at the language, you know, because then when you graduate to more sophisticated and fancy gear, you'll be able to take everything that you've learned with that, right? 
So that's something that we don't talk about enough because it's not sexy and you, it's not like selling a product. It's not selling the new Canon EOS R5 with the blah, blah, blah. Like it's not, I feel like people are bored or something and they think that whatever comes out of the box is going to be the thing that pushes them to the next stage in their career when it's like, no, you need to learn the language first. Filmmaking is a language. And I mean, I, it's so well put what you said. Do you have any... Can I, can I say something to that real quick? By all means. Um, I, I like that. You said something a few minutes ago about, you know, you, you were paying me a compliment saying that you feel like I'm someone that was you know, built to do this or That's right. came natural to you came natural. Um, and the whole gear thing. Yes. I think when you're first getting started, the gear thing is, is very interesting. It's very exciting, but it's a dead end. I feel that anybody can be interested in buttons and settings. Anybody can, figure out where the buttons are and you can get really good at knowing all that and that's it. But if you, if you find that you're someone that can go beyond that and just look at human emotions and relationships and reactions and stories and, and, and feeling and pulling someone into a world and, allowing them to get lost in that world, that's really where you know that you 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 were you were built for this, you know, you were built to do that. The people that can just swim in that. And because a lot a lot of people are really good at the settings. All the information is online. You know, you can learn anybody can go and learn all this stuff, how to make something look I wanna know how to make this look exactly the way he made that look. How right. do I do that? Yeah. Okay. Da, 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 da. Now, now it looks exactly like what he did. I did it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but can you make somebody cry? Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. 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 It's right. a whole can different make... skill. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not trying to say like, you know, one one group is better than the other, but I just say that to uh, encourage, encourage somebody that's on the fence and maybe they're going through that transition and they don't, they don't quite see what's on the other end, but they can kind of start to see it. Like, I'm just encouraging those people to just dive into that. Keep pushing through that, you know, don't get stuck on the gear. So well put, like, I think the tide is starting to change a little bit. And I called this, um, I called this sometime like in the second half of last year. And I think creators are taking a more holistic approach insofar as, because we've just gone, the creative middle class has gone in circles with this. Like we've, we've invested in the gear and it didn't make us happy. You know, we've invested $10,000 in a short that didn't get us on Netflix and stuff like that. And so that's normal. That's okay. Like that's not shameful that those aren't failures. I think we've just been around the block a few times, you know, we've got the 1 million subscribers on YouTube and we still don't like ourselves like that kind of emotional stuff. And I think I, I foresee creators taking a more holistic approach. And so far as 
how to prevent burnout or, you know, how to, how to be more minimal as far as I don't need all this crazy, flashy, fancy, um, videography stuff. How do I tell a story? How can I convey emotion, atmosphere? How can I work on sound as opposed to, to video? Like sound is not, um, appreciated as much as it is supposed to be, in my opinion, when it comes to these sort of productions. How do I convey a message? You know, the, these sort of things I think are going to be taking more precedent, especially now that we're in this epidemic. And gosh, what is it like? Something like six million Americans filed for unemployment last month. Um, that's nuts. So <laughs> I watched some of these YouTube review camera people, which I can't help but watch because I like to know what's going on. And, yeah. and it's like, they're selling me, they're selling me stuff. They're salesmen. And that's cool. Cause they got to eat too. You know, they got to, they, I understand, I respect sponsorships and stuff, but, um, and they got to eat, but it's kind of tone deaf and that, why are we talking about that right now? Right now is not a good time to, to be investing in a $2,500 lens, you know, and I encourage filmmakers and creatives out there, no matter how hard it gets. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. I'll lie, cheat, and steal to feed my kids. Don't get me wrong if it ever got to that. But don't sell your gear. Like, I've been trying to tell a few filmmakers that as well. Um, hey, Trey, hey, can you still hear me? frozen, buddy. Okay, I think I know why. Give me one second. I don't sec. know if you can hear me or see me, but you, I got you frozen over here. Yeah, yeah, I know what it is. One sec. You know what it's got to be. Hello? Okay. Let me know if you see my picture come back. Yeah, you're back. Okay. So what happens when you're when you're doing it live? Um, all that. Oh, God damn it! One sec. All that just to say. Um. During the time of maximum pessimism, during this, it's, it feels like an apocalypse in a lot of ways, this epidemic. Uh, now's not the time to, to be worshiping like expensive gear. Now's the time. How can I double down and tell these stories or, or add value to other people's small businesses or companies? Like, how do I do that now? You know, um, I want to see that become the priority to creators. Um, that's something that's missing. But I feel like filmmakers, creators, they don't want to they don't want to give up their cards. They don't want to show people how they do that. So I guess this is a good segue to what you do for your business. Walk me through that. How long have you have you had your business? What is it called? Where can we find it and what do you do for for other people? Uh, the name of my business is Vollmer Visuals. And my website is TreyVolmer.com. Um, started doing video for business like 12 years ago. But just within the last couple years, yeah. I started focusing on working with businesses. Because before I was doing a lot of weddings and, you know, just random stuff here and there, documentaries here and there. Um, but within the last couple years, focusing really on businesses, helping them to communicate their message, 
um, you know, helping them to identify who they are, how they're different, what they do, um, just helping them to not only grow, but also uh, streamline their processes. You know, if it's an internal process that can be streamlined through video, um, strengthening their connections with their their customers, their audience, um, you know, just keeping everything um, uh, streamlined. Yeah. So how do you how do you do that? Um, can we do like a little role play? Like, can I be a company and I'm and I'm asking you questions on how you, how your business can help me? Sure. Okay. So, what's a what's a what's a company um, that sells a product that that's a good example for this? I don't want to bark up the wrong tree. Um, could say. Uh, what can I sell? Pool pool enclosures, swimming pool enclosures. Oh, okay. Um. Hey, Trey. So my name is Knives Monroe with Knives Monroe Pool Pools. Um, and, you know, I have a small business, but it's growing. I got three companies and, you know, I'm trying to take over. But there's other companies that I see that are doing commercials. They're doing videos. And it's like, I just want to get on that social media stuff because I want to be able to to reach out to people that I that I don't have. And like, you know, I have I have money for like an ad budget now, and it's just I don't know the first thing about video. I don't know what to do. So, where do we start? Uh, so, so yeah, the the first thing I would say is you know jumping on a quick phone call and then you know hearing them out. I know you're trying to role play, but I, yeah, I I feel like I don't know. Maybe I could just explain it, but um, please do. It might, it might it might be easier for me okay. that way. Um. So, yeah, uh, touch base on a, on a phone call. And then I'm trying to get everybody to, uh, you know, fill out my discovery form as, as quick as possible to uh, make sure that we're a good fit and I can learn as much about their business as I can before meeting face-to-face. Mm-hmm. So That's smart. That's a good bit. Yeah, so, so once... Once I have, you know, some information and we can see that we're looking like a good fit, um, you know, then we'll have that meeting and we'll talk more about really just uh, what what their goals are for their business in general, you know, because a lot of people, when they want to talk about video for their business, they start, they already start thinking about the creative side of it. Mm-hmm. So you want to get people totally away from that and have them talk about what they really care about which is their business Mm -hmm. and by that do you mean selling more products or services uh so one of the one of the main things that i provide is is called a video business card i like Uh, that that's cool so pretty much any business that you know whoever you are you could you could use a video business card and if especially if you have zero video in your business Mm mm-hmm um, so it's a two minute video that captures the entire essence of your whole business. It's you, the business owner on camera talking about your business, not straight into the camera, but off to me. Mm-hmm. Interview style. Yeah. People, people get to meet the real you. So that's my whole goal in a video business card is to not just explain what you do and how you're different, but to create that environment 
to where people feel like they're meeting the genuine you because a lot of times video gets really misused and people just stand in front of the camera and they talk like this my name is john like one of the most powerful things about video is you can meet somebody without actually meeting them so if you take that away you you might as well not even make a video you might as well just use text for sure so creating that environment to where you, you you meet the business owner and, you know, you can decide, you know, by the end of that video business card, you're going to know everything you need to know about whether or not you want to do business or not with them. That's awesome. And when you sign a business up and they want to work with you, they have the money and they're easy to work with. They answer the phone calls, they fill out the forms, they meet you in person, they're game, they're they're um, either comfortable on camera or they're comfortable with the idea of you getting them, them comfortable on camera. Um, and after you create that video business card, is that, all right, peace, see you later? What's the next step for their business that you can help them with? Uh, it, com- it comes with a uh, implementation, like a, like a marketing plan. So when that whole thing's finished, you're going to get an email with that plan and it's going to, it's going to walk you through how to use the video business card, where to put it. And a lot of these things are things that I can see. Like if someone puts it on their LinkedIn profile or their Facebook business page, uh, Hey, you didn't pin it to the top of your Facebook business page. Remember to, you got to pin it or if somebody emails me and it's in the email signature, I can kind of, keep up on a business make sure that they are implementing it properly yeah smart no you have to do that because it doesn't matter how amazing a video is you know how to use it it's worthless a hundred percent um one of my as far as work like when i'm filming something i need to know where's it gonna go where's it gonna go like is this for a linkedin audience is this an instagram story or am I just, is photos the priority here, you know? Um, where is this going to live? Is this going to be on YouTube? Like, as soon as you know the destination, then you can deploy all your resources to be like, oh, well, then it needs to be like this, you know? Yeah. And uh, it needs to have these call to actions or or what have you. And yeah. so if we put it out on Twitter, like, we got to pin that tweet or something like that. So for sure, like, you have to thoroughly know um, natively the destination of where these videos are going to end up. So that's, that's a very, very smart touch. Are you a, are you a one man band? Are you comfortable answering that? No, I'm not a one man band. Um, I do stuff on my own, but usually I have somebody with me. Okay. It's usually, uh, me and at least one other person, um, have people that help me edit. I have, um, animators, uh, graphic design artists, um so so really i'm you know i was a one-man band but i'm transitioning into creating a video agency that can service all those different areas so cool yeah but that's, I, that's I hard to comment uh, uh, real quick on the video Please. business card thing Please do. Me, i like what you were saying about the implementation stuff so i think that uh just with video a lot of times people jump into it too fast yeah and start creating um so if you're a videographer or you know you're the creator 
you're maybe used to jumping in a little too fast and the same for the uh the business owner you know they they don't know how to do any of this so mm-hmm. but we um we provide a one-hour strategy session Smart. and w- within that strategy session that comes before the video like you need to be um you know really really firm about what they want yeah and if if you if you don't believe if if you say hey how how are you different how is your business different and you're not convinced well you're the first line of defense you need to mm-hmm. you need to pull more out of them you need to yeah. you know like why did you why did you really get into this industry like I, like you said you just did it because it's cool like right that that doesn't convince me like let's talk some more about this mm-hmm. you got to dig and dig and dig and then once you feel like wow now we really got something then you go out and make it that's very important and i'm glad that you made that distinction and i'm impressed by that and i'll tell you why because that's what a director does that's what a filmmaker does it's like a, a, a director who let's just say there's writer directors like a tarantino or something but there's also directors like David Fincher who are some of the best in the world who don't write their own scripts. And they got to know what every page means. And that might mean sitting down with the writer and saying, what did you mean by this word? Why is it this and not that? Why? Why is this italicized? I need to know. Okay. And it, you know, so on and so forth. Same thing with the actors. Like you can't just settle for a mediocre performance. Like if you have to, we might have to redo this. If you have to, we might have to film this in a different location because it's not working or we have to recast this. Like you need to, you can't just phone it in. Like every story that, what I like about what you're saying is like trying to understand, you're starting with why, right? And you want to tap into the emotion because you know at the end of the day to maximize, the whole reason why you're doing this video is to amplify a message. And if the way you want to connect with other people you have to tap into their emotions. And if you can do that with a business, you're going to, I don't want to speak so lofty, but you could potentially transform their business or at least have an impact with their message for sure. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And you gotta, you gotta figure that out on the, on the front end. You know, you gotta dig, you gotta explore, you gotta get there together. That's right. Yeah. Oh man. And I got, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but for me, I can say sometimes, you know, when I've filmed some interviews or even recorded some podcasts with people that I like, sometimes it's like pulling teeth because people haven't really thought that deep into it, you know? And so you have to set the proper expectations. Maybe, maybe you're not the right person for this job then, you know, maybe this isn't going to really work because if you're not willing to, um, give me those emotions or tap into why you're doing this, like this is not going to be a good fit. And so it's important, you know, I've had to do that with with weddings, like, you know, you get what you pay for. And if you're not willing to put your neck out there, you know, I might not be the best fit for this, you know, because here, here's what I can do. Here's what I can do for you. If you don't like that and if you want something else, well, I can recommend somebody that does that for you. Right. So you're right. sort you're sort of um, kind of yeah. like it's kind of like dating. You want to know if is this is this a business that you want to be engaged with, you know, in the long run, because if you can form that relationship, it's just good business for everybody in the long term, for sure. That's cool. Have you had clients that you've been working with for a year plus? Uh, yeah, for sure. 
That's cool. So how do you provide this? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot, but I'm fascinated by this. How do you provide value for a business and that when it's not just checking off the boxes of like, we do this, we do that, like years down the line and you've wowed them a few times, how do you continue to wow them with what you do? Um, I think you just got to care about them and what they care about. And, you know, it's like a marriage. How can you stay married for 20 years? You have to care about that person and you have to understand what they, what they want, what they need. And then you just have to deliver that. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like knowing their their love language, I guess, and maybe that means um, telling them that, that they're beautiful or buying them a gift or like helping them out in a new way. So I guess you have to remain flexible in that way. That's 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 amazing, man. I really respect what you do. It's hard, you know, because so so many of us, and it's also part of the reason why I would do these Facebook lives is I wanted to help creators make money, you know, and I would some of the advice that I would give is if you have camera equipment, but you don't have friends and you can't produce your own film, then I implore you to go find someone that's making a movie and go record behind the scenes footage yeah. for their movie. Not only yeah. do you get some reps in, but you get to meet some contacts and you can provide upfront value for a filmmaker who's gonna want you know, behind the scenes documentary footage, right? That could potentially be, if you're good, more valuable than the film itself and just get out there, right? Was sort of my advice. Because I want to see the film economy prosper because what's good for the country, you know, the gig economy is good for me, you know, and I, see, I wanted to see more of that. So I have so much respect for what you do because nobody in, in video language, uh, you know, community, we're not really talking about business. We're not talking about how to, how to make a dollar. Like if you have a Canon 5D Mark IV and, and a beautiful lens, go make $1. It's... It takes work. It takes it, it takes skill, you know. And we don't we don't talk about how to make money enough. Not in a in a sleazy way, because and I I struggled with this for a long time. Like the conversation about money. Like for a while there, I did so much free work because I just wanted to work. I didn't even want to have the 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 money conversation. I must have filmed ten music videos before I finally charged somebody for one because I just wasn't comfortable with saying. Hey, uh, you know, 500 bucks for this, just cause you know, I gotta, I gotta cover my costs, you know, but to be able to have that conversation on how to provide value and how, how you, I mean, I did this great podcast, um, with a filmmaker who is a wicked wedding videographer. This guy is just amazing. And, you know, he wasn't afraid to talk about upselling and, you know, um, how to make money, you know, and I was just like filmmakers, creatives, we don't have that conversation, you know, um, I can't tell you how many young kids have reached out to me to help me asking for my help to help them produce a feature film, but they don't have a business plan on how to make their money back, you know, and it's like, damn, we don't talk about that enough. And I, and so I really appreciate you having this conversation with me because not only are you creative, but it sounds like you're a smart businessman and those are few and far in between. I don't know why, but they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that uh, a lot of creative people, when they approach a project for a business, they're thinking about the creative side of it, and and that's why they're scared to ask for money because... That was me for a long time. Because they're thinking about what they're going to get out of it. That's right. But, but if you think about the business owner, 
and and really try to understand how they feel and where they're coming from, then you're approaching it more from the perspective of you're helping somebody and you're providing a service to where it's more about what they're getting out of it and not you getting a new piece of art. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. And I, I struggled, I struggled with that for a very long time until I realized that businesses, they're paying you not to live your dream, not to have fun, not to have a, a good time. They're paying you for the bullshit that they don't want to do or they can't do. They're paying you for your expertise. And so don't feel weird or guilty or ashamed of of charging them for that because that transaction is is the easiest form of um of barter that you can really have of a transaction is money. It's like cool. It's good for them. They get to write it off and it's good for you because you get to pay your bills. So it, it makes the most sense. And when you're 19, I don't I don't really know if if you're taught that or at least I wasn't in in 2007. I wasn't taught that. So it took a long time before I realized. I mean, I had to read. I had to read business books. I had to um, watch business seminars and like learn about how why companies even exist and how they make money, and apply that to my business before. And and that's how I was able to form a marriage with filmmaking and and commerce. And so, woo, yeah, I'm telling you, it took a long time for me to figure out as well. That's what you got to do. You got to just look at what you do is just like what anybody else does. You know. We're all, we're all working here, you know? That's right, 100%, man. So, Trey, I've had a great time having this conversation, but I want to do right by you. Is there is there anything else that you want to that you want to tap into? Because I'm looking at the scoreboard. We're on the same team. We're winning, and so we can afford some 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 three-point some three point shots right now. We can afford to miss a few, and if you want to get weird and get into the weeds, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, anything else you want to you get into while I have you on the call? Um, just off the top of my head, uh, I'm sure there's some things, but I, uh, I noticed, I just noticed what you said recently about your superpower being your vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's cool when you, when you hear somebody say something and it, and it clicks cause you know, I watch your stuff, but I never thought which that exact thing that you said, but yeah you said it, I was like, man, he's right. That is, that is him. You know, he's, he's able to, uh, just speak his mind. And so, you know, that's something that I, um, I admire, but I also like struggle with. And, you know, there's times where I feel like I'm very straightforward and genuine, but then I'll say the wrong thing and hurt somebody's feelings. And then it's like, okay, how can I avoid that? And then I end up being like, you know, thinking now am I being too PC and mm -hmm. you know, yeah, too nice. I'm a big believer and it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. You know, um, going back to trust, like what we were talking about with your, your father-in-law, you know, he needs to trust you and, and so on to bring you into the circle. And so it's the same thing with, with social media. It's the same thing with uh, connective tissue, like Knives Monroe my first impression, like, I assume nobody knows anything about me. I, cause I'm a nobody. I'm assuming nobody knows jack shit. So every piece of content that I create, what's, what do they, what do I want them to get out of this? And the first thing that I want them to get out of it is I'm spilling my guts out. And so 
because I'm spilling my guts out. It's not because I like to hear the sound of my own voice. It's because I want to listen to what you have to say. And so sometimes that means tearing my heart out and giving it to people and say, how are you doing? And you'd be surprised how many people just want to talk about themselves because they keep a lot of stuff in. And I'm, I'm very interested in that, you know? And so it's the same thing with filmmakers. There's so much like pretense of trying to look cool or be cool or say the right thing all the time. And it's like, if I hurt somebody's feelings, it's not because I'm trying to hurt your feelings. Like I, I've only been angry, like so rarely in my life where I'm fucking berserk. All I see is red, angry. And I, it's never my intention to hurt somebody's feelings. And if I do, it's just because I want to cut the bullshit, cut the crap like your, like your father-in-law did. And, and I want to get to a, a higher level of consciousness. Um, I had read once that you cannot solve a problem with the same level of consciousness that created it. You need a higher form of consciousness to solve a problem. And I'm a problem solver. My whole purpose in life is, you know, and it's funny, and you said it, and I'm not going to lie, it made me very happy. Um, when you're when you were watching some of my rants back in the day, and if I said the right thing at the right time that made you be like, oh, that's cool, I needed to hear that, that's why I do it. Uh, it's in my mission statement on my podcast, which is to activate dormant creatives to really just be the, the most that they can be. There's so many people that need permission to be excellent. They need permission to be vulnerable. And so my superpower is, is not that I'm the most vulnerable or something, but it's to be vulnerable first. So I implore you, man, like this whole PC thing, don't say anything that, that you're, you know, that you're not willing to support and back up and everything, but don't be afraid to be wrong. Everybody wants to be right all the time. Like political correctness is simply about being perceived optically that you're right. When really there's more power in changing your mind. There's more power in saying, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that anymore. I change my mind all the time. Like my friends hate me for that. They'll be like, you said this was blah, blah, blah last year. And I'm like, yeah, but I saw it 10 more times and I changed my mind. Like that's power, you know? So the whole vulnerability thing, um, it's just something I learned about myself. You know, uh, there are some people that are like Peter McKinnon that make the best image and that's their superpower. And that's cool. And I feel bad using Peter in this, in this way, but I don't think he's the most vulnerable. I don't think, I think he's 51% more of a salesman than he is you know, then I see the real person, you know, and I bet he's a great guy, great father, great human, but he puts up this invisible barrier to, to kind of, um, I think protect his, his image and his maybe feelings and personality. But the times I connect to somebody like him the most is, is when he's being real and he's talking about depression or talking about burnout. And it's like, that's the stuff that I care about, you know, because, the knowledge, I can Google anything, I can Wikipedia anything and learn how to do something. But the emotional stuff of like, how do how do you how do you learn to accept yourself, love yourself, like yourself, feel good about yourself, you teach a person that they're set for life. I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. And my and my hope is that, you know, we can find ways to be successful and genuine at the same time. Because you know, I, I work with a lot of different businesses and I'm, I'm, you know, interacting with successful people. And in my opinion, 
most, a lot of successful people, you know, they, you don't really feel like you're getting to know them as much as you would like. It feels good to get to know somebody, you know, but usually the people that will just like stop and show you them real, their whole self, you know, with who they really are, they might not be the, the next millionaire or whatever, but right. you know, not that, you know, I'm not trying to be a millionaire, but I, t- I do want to be successful and I want to provide for my family and nothing wrong with being a millionaire either, of course, right, obviously, of course. but just finding that, that balance between, um, being yourself and also, also being successful. It's, it's not, it's not, it hasn't been easy, you know, but it's mm-hmm. something that I desire. You said something earlier, like the first 10 minutes of this podcast that I wrote down and you had said, you know, when you were something like 15, 16, 17, around the time that you're moving, around the time of your parents' divorce, around the time when you're tapping into what you're good at, you know, and and also to use your word, like quitting something and moving on but also like going to college and you're going to give things time and you just seemed so thoughtful, you know, you seem so kind of in your head, self-aware, like at that age. And I think that's very important, you know, and it struck out to me like emotional. And uh, one thing that I'm very big on is emotional intelligence, EQ. And the type of person that I am, like what you see right now, that's how I am in business meetings. That's how I've been in interviews to a fault, you know, sometimes I won't get the business because I'm this way and I'm not wearing the suit and I'm not telling people what they want to hear. But that's my way of, of knowing that I don't want to work with you because I can't put on a mask and go outside. I mean, unless of course it's to get water and I don't want to get a disease. Yeah, I'll put on a mask, but no, like I can't put on a, a, a mask of masculinity that, that is not on brand or not who I am because I can't, I can't, keep up with the lies like I I just can't you know and so sometimes that hurts my wallet but on the times where I where people get it and they like it and they want that culture and they need that business and they're refreshed by that perspective it does my wallet good and it's it's easier for me and more sustainable excuse me to be myself in perpetuity because you you're this is what you get you know and and it's easier so is it risky? Yeah. Is it sometimes I'm like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be me. You know, um, you had mentioned meeting your, your future father-in-law. When I met my future father-in-law, I had already knocked up his daughter. So Claire was already pregnant. And I remember shaking this guy's hand and being like, what's up, dad? I'm your son. Like, I just, I didn't want to impress him. I wasn't trying to earn his respect. I had already, I have, I had already, you know, I did it my way already, and, and and we're great. We have a great relationship with each other. I think he loves me and respects respects me, but, you know, guess what? Sometimes that doesn't work all the time. Sometimes, you know, when I was in middle school or high school and I got in a fight with a bully, it's because my mouth, you know, I wasn't going to tell the bully what they wanted to hear. I didn't bump into him and say, my bad. I bumped into him, kept walking, and then the, bu- the bully had to turn me around and say, what the fuck's the matter with you? And I said, the fuck's matter with you and then before i know it i'm on the floor and my cds my cds are everywhere sprayed across the hall um you know stuff like that and so i just you have to be willing to know yourself and say this is what it is and roll with the punches and accept all the stuff that comes with it and 
And I think people who are smart in business actually really, really appreciate that. They want to work with not a loose cannon, don't get me wrong, but they want to work with someone that they can know, oh, this guy's providing upfront truth. And so I'm going to tell them what's really going on. And so you cut the bullshit, you save time, and you're able to form um, a relationship, a business relationship that, that has a good foundation, a strong foundation. And that took, that took a decade to learn too. But, you know, once you, once you go around the block a few times, you know what works for you. And so if radical candor, something that I can tap into, does not work for you, then you have to do what works for you as well. Everybody is different, for sure. Totally, man. We're, we're all created way different. And, you know, you need to just understand how you were, how you were made and, and go from there. I mean, it's going to be a disaster if we don't. It's going to be a disaster. Um, real quick, I want to ask you just a couple of rapid fire questions before we sign off. Um, yeah. So you had said in the beginning that the filmmaking was the thing that you wanted to do, and you and you did get to do it. You know, I've never won an award like a twenty four hour film festival award. I've never won anything because I suck. But for you, you know, you've been around the block a few times. What were some film directors or movies that like inspired you and you were like, whoa, that I want to do that or, or something like that. Uh, the very first one was Shyamalan. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, after a while, I, I really got into uh, Scorsese and Tarantino are probably my two favorites. Yeah. Those are big ones. Yeah. What is a, a project that is on the internet that people can search for that you're, that you're proud of and you're like, maybe it didn't get as much love as it should have, but what's something that, that we can search for you and be like, whoa, this is, this is dope? Um, we did a short film that was uh, pretty much a true story. We found this uh, transcript from a, a guy that lost his wife in 9-11. And we, uh, we turned that transcript into like, our script for the short film called Ground Zero. Whoa. Um, we did that, and uh, then we did a, a short film called Dose. So is is Dose, that on YouTube? Um, I think it's on maybe Vimeo. Okay, cool. We gotta, I got to look for that. That sounds fascinating. So we did that, and then we did a, a short film called Dose, um, which got into... Uh, some film festivals, um, uh, Central Florida Film Festival, um, maybe like, you know, three or two or three different festivals. But we actually had a producer that like, you know, gave us a little budget and we had a casting crew of like probably 15 people. Um, that's, that's the best. Yeah. So, but that was, that was kind of the last thing that I really like did on that level. And that was maybe like, I don't know, two, three years ago, and then, you know, the rest, so. Yeah, what is, um, obviously, look, and w maybe we can save this for another podcast, but this, this pandemic is affecting our state of mind, it's affecting our um, businesses, it's, it's affecting our country economically, I mean, we're not in a recession yet, but by the time this quarter is finished, I mean, we're going to be able to call it a recession for sure. So many people are losing their jobs. Obviously, we want this to pass, and it will pass, but what does the future look like for Trey Vollmer? Like, what, what do you want to do? What are some benchmarks that you want to hit? Obviously, you have a, a, 
a, a young daughter, a newborn baby, and you want to spend some time with her. But, you know, what do you have to look forward to for this decade? What are some big goals? What are some short-term goals? Um, I think for me, when I think too hard about how it's all going to play out, uh, I get overwhelmed and discouraged. But my, um, you know, my hope is ultimately in God and it's not in the things of this world. And, and, you know, that's the only thing I have to turn to when I feel overwhelmed by this world. So that's very, um, you know, that's, that's the superpower that, uh, keeps me, uh, stable and at peace, you know, that's heavy, man. And I guess my last question is where can my listeners and the people who are watching right now, where can they find you on the internet? Say I'm a small business and I want to see what you're about. What can you do for me? But also where can people support the cause? Uh, Trayvolmer.com. That, that's my website. Awesome. Cool. So I'm going to link that in the description. Um, Trent, I'm sorry. Um, Trey offered so much upfront value and was very honest. Every question that I asked him, he was very giving in that. So something tells me when it comes to, to your business um, or even your own personal brand, I think he can help you out as well. So if you want to reach out to him, his website's going to be in the description. Trey, this was a lot of fun, man. Um, I was so yeah. excited to do this. Thank you for, for, for allotting some time to, to be able to chat with me and, and tell your wife, thank you for, for, for letting me have this, uh, you know, time. It's so selfish, you know, it's self-indulgent to, to do, a, to do a podcast, you know? And so I know it's a lot on a Sunday and thank you so much for your time, man. It means a lot. You too, man. I enjoyed it tremendously. That's why, that's why you're the best. I appreciate you, Trey. Hey, don't be a stranger, man. Reach out. And I want to do another one of these very soon. I would love to, buddy. You're the best. I appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. All right. You take care. Take care, brother.